Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, thank you, Pastor Tim. Good morning, church. It's an honor to be here this morning to share with you the Word of God. In this seasons of COVID-19, there have been a lot of discussions about the impact of what the coronavirus has brought upon our lives and the churches, not only here, but worldwide. At the core of it, the pandemic forces us to rethink who we are and why we are here as a church. What is a church? Is it just a physical building where people congregate or a group that worship together online? The debate on click versus brick is pretty heated in many corners and to me is very revealing. For example, the impact of the online worship is so severe that recently Partner, which is a a very important Christian organization in the state, uh, releases a report that says one in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID-19, probably because of the reason that they don't want to attend any worship online. Yet at the other end of the spectrum, some are wondering how to create more effective digital churches. For example, one of my students at Tyndale University is writing a graduation project paper on the relationship between digital church and spiritual communities. But no matter where the debate leads us to, there is no debate about the Great Commission as the key teaching of the Bible that we need to obey and we need to follow. But when it comes to the Great Commission, it is no question that it is one of the most often read talked about, discussed, and preached part of the Bible. And I'm sure many have come to understand the Great Commission through the lens of evangelism. But I would suggest to you that the Great Commission can be understood as representing the fourfold purpose for the people of God on earth, so to speak, the Rejon Datra, of the church. The fourfold purpose can be seen from the verbs and the part- participle that the commission uh, uses. Go, disciple, baptize, and teach. Go means mission endeavors to all ethnicity, bearing witness for Christ across the street and around the globe. Disciple is about life transformation through modeling and following after Jesus. Baptism, the way I understand it, is incorporation into the body of Christ through union with him in death and in his resurrection. And finally, teach is all about lifelong learning of Christ's life, values, mandate, and the teaching of the whole counsel of God. 
But if you recall a sermon that was preached early in the year by Pastor Tim, he rightly pointed out that in the Great Commission, there is only one main verb. The others are actually participles. The participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. And the main verb, the main verb is to disciple. So as far as the main point about the Great Commission is concerned, if you will, it is all about discipling. But if the Great Commission is at the core of the mission of Christ's church, why is it, why is it that many Christians are struggling with meeting the demands and the obligation of fulfilling it? So today's sermon is actually taken from my series, Why Don't We? We can talk about why don't we go, why don't we baptize, why don't we teach, but most importantly, today we are focusing on why don't we disciple. As a way of trying to reflect on why, do, why don't we follow through with our commitment to the Great Commission. And before we take a deeper dive into the sermon, let's first pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come into your presence this morning to worship you, may the Spirit open our eyes and our mind so we can focus on Jesus and his words. Now, based on my own reflection and really the inspiration of a bunch of reports from Bartner, I have come across at least four reasons or four attitudes of why Christians do not follow through with our commitment to the Great Commissions. And I'm sure there are many, but I can just nail it down to four. They are, number one, I don't know about it. Number two, I misknow about it, or to coin a phrase, I misknow about it, I misunderstand it. Number three, I know about it, but I don't really care. Number four, I know about it, but I don't believe in it, therefore I don't want to follow it. So let's take a quick look at each one of them. But before I do that, I want you to know that I'm not here to judge. This is unquestionably a topic and a sermon first spoken to me personally so that I can learn and I can obey. As John Owen, the 17th century great Puritan preacher, will say, a man preaches that sermon only well unto others, which preached itself in his own soul. First, I don't know it. I don't do it because I don't know it. I call this the reason of ignorance. This comes out of a group of people who please it. I don't know anything about the Great Commission, so how can I be expected to follow through with it? And if I don't do it, I can't act on it. Now, you may react and say, what? You haven't heard about it? You don't know about it? No way, Jose. <laughs> the Great Commission is such an important teaching of the Bible, of Jesus. There's no way you don't know about it. And I say, yes, there is a way, Jose. According to a 2018 report from Bartner, an important Christian research organization, as I said earlier, when believers are asked 
if they have ever heard of the Great Commission. Half of the U.S. churchgoers, 51%, 51% of the U.S. churchgoers said they do not know this term. In other words, for this group of people, to expect them to talk about Jesus, to follow through with the commitment to, to the Great Commission, is absolutely futile. Because they say, I don't know what I don't know. I can't do it because I don't know about it. They are ignorant of the existence of Jesus calling us into the commitment and the commission of discipling. You know, contrary to the popular belief, ignorance in this case is not blissful. The second reason, I call it the misnotype to corner face, or I misunderstand it. The same report that I cited earlier said 25% of the churchgoers said the Greek Commission does ring the bell, but they don't remember anything about it. They may think that Greek Commission is merely a suggestion, not a commandment. As a result, the Greek Commission is not to be taken seriously. We can do it, but we don't have to do it. It's kind of the scenario of the, the social distancing earlier in this implementation stage. You remember, there's a lot of people think that it is only a suggestion, not, a, not an injunction. You may want to do it, you may not. And this reminds me of a, a pastor friend uh, who told me uh, of a mission trip that he led back in the early 90s with a group of American teenagers to a creative area in Asia. One day they happened to be at the center of the town and they, and they kind of came across at the major intersection and there was a, there was a, a traffic light. In fact, the, the town just installed a traffic light. So this group of teenagers, um, you know, look at the light as they try to cross the road um, and uh, waiting for the, for the light to turn green. And as the light turned green, they crossed the road. And lo and behold, the cars were still coming at them, and they were so scared about their lives. And later on, my pastor friend uh, recounted the instance uh, with his contact. His contact said, you guys shouldn't be worried. Our local drivers are very good in adapting and avoiding pedestrians, so you guys are safe. Without any hesitation, my pastor friend just shot back, but what about... What about the traffic light? What happened to the light? Aren't they supposed to follow it? His contact replied immediately, the light? Oh, oh, the light is only a suggestion. It is not an injunction. You see, sometimes we have that mindset. We heard about it, we understood it, but we simply treat it as a suggestion. You see, in the Great Commission, Jesus does not ask Jesus does not exhort. He does not plead. He commands it. He demands it. All the participles in the verb, if you understand the two verses that we read earlier, are imperative in both tone and tense. It is tough to argue that the Great Commission is only a suggestion, not a commandment. The third reason why our commitment to the Great Commission wavers can be attributed 
to what I describe to be an apathy factor. I know it, but I don't care. As a result, people don't want to commit to discipling or evangelism because there is a sense of avoiding the conversation or being ambivalent about it. In yet another report, not the same report, but the second report that came out from Bartner in 2018, 28% of the respondents to the survey said that religious conversation always seems to create tension or argument. On a deeper level, there is no confidence or conviction that evangelism or witnessing, and for that matter, discipling matters. You see, they, this is the group that they would say, in the world of, you know, you do you, you know, faith is actually a personal, in a personal sphere. Nothing we, <clears throat> something that we do not want to talk about. It's your own thing to talk about. I don't care. Um, I don't know whether you play that video game, Star Wars, The Knights of the Old Republic 2. It says, apathy is death. If we carry this type of attitude, no wonder the church is in decline. Then at last, we come to the fourth and the final reason. And that is the reason expressed by those who are from the camp. I know it. I don't believe it, and therefore I don't want to follow it. Or I call this group the willful disobedient group. And this is the group of believers who have heard about it, got it, but chose not to follow it because they don't really believe it to be important to follow. In fact, there were actually, in my mind, two camps within this group. First, take an example from the Americans about the COVID-19 resurgence. Look at the behavior of Donald Trump. Freedom over fear, right? I know wearing masks is important, but I chose not to. Why? Because deep down, they don't believe it. They don't think it is the right thing to do. Yet in another report, partner came out this time in 2019, it says, Almost half of the practicing Christians millennial, 47%, say evangelism is wrong. Because to them, sharing faith would somehow involve pointing out the choices that other mates being wrong, and to do that is to judge others. And yet there is another group in this camp. They simply outright disobeyed it willfully. This reminds me of some of the legal rules that the government has now imposed on us these days because of COVID-19. And one of them is called the Quarantine Act, right? Which basically said that if you arrive in Canada from another country, you must self-isolate yourself for 14 days to prove that you are not a COVID-19 carrier. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well these visitors or returnees have been informed. There are still a few who violate the act on purpose. Just last week, if you read the news, there's a bunch of uh, Americans uh, who broke the rules and get caught and, and get fined. Or for that matter, just look at what happened two nights ago 
at Terry Beach, right, on Thursday night. The people partying the way into the wee hour of the Friday morning, right? These are two groups of people. The organizer, they are the kind of, hey, you only, you know, you YOLO, you only live once. Why don't we just party? Forget about the coronavirus. And then you got the guys who join them. They're the, the, the FOMO group, right? They fear of missing out. Let's join them. Let's, let's do this. No matter what the motivation for these people, following the law is not about the knowledge. It's about the will. Likewise, for Christians who pull this last reason for not following through with the Great Commission, it is the lack of will more so than the lack of knowledge. So how do we address these challenges that we may be facing in the faith community? How do we turn ourselves from why don't we to why shouldn't we? How do we keep the main thing the main thing, so to speak? Let us propose that we get back to the basics or back to the basic approach of PTL. Well, it may be PTL, praise the Lord, but that's not what I, that's not what I mean. PTL, P, Pritchard. T, Titchard. L, lift it out. First, Pritchard. We have to put discipling at the core of our preaching. By discipling, I do not mean the courses we need to take or the certificate we need to complete for being trained as a disciple. You see, personally, I do not believe it at the core. Discipling is about a making process. That's why I don't use the term disciple-making. You see, disciples are not products that we can produce out of a factory process. That if you've done this and you've done that, you are good to go and qualify to be a disciple. For me, disciples are shaped, not made. Discipleship is not about simply de developing a set of practices that we do. Discipleship is not first not about is first not about doing, but it's about our being. It's not first about acting out, but baking in our lives. For me, discipleship, for that matter, following or followership starts with Jesus. Because only if there is a master can there be followers. And who is the master if not Jesus himself? You see, Jesus models the way for us to follow him. So preaching on discipleship, first and foremost, is about preaching on Jesus. We preach Jesus Christ as our Lord and him crucified, said St. Paul. So we preach Jesus and the way of the cross. So we follow him and we follow the way of the cross. Second, teach it. Teaching the whole counsel of God. It means that we do not simply focusing on teaching the comfort, the promises, and the blessings of the Lord. We must also teach the requirements and the instructions of what we need to do to follow him. We teach the Jesus of the Bible 
the whole Jesus of the Bible. It reminds me, back in 2015, a young evangelical blocker by the name of Aint. Unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago. She put up an essay on her blog, and the essay is called Dear Church, an open letter from one of those millennials you can't figure out. In the essay, she pointed out that one of the observations her generation about the church's teaching of following Christ is that, I quote, that Jesus taught at the church did not look much like Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus taught at the church does not look much like Jesus of Nazareth. So teach the whole Jesus, not only his blessing, but most importantly, we teach Jesus' character and his values. What are his character and his values? A couple of years ago, I wrote a book, Listening to Their Voices, about the faith journey of the younger generation of the Chinese Christians in Canada. And in response to the journey, I wrote the following about learning from Jesus in terms of his character and his values. I quote, Jesus' values are risk-taking, courageous, complete dependence on the Father, truth-telling, merciful and compassionate, dispensing justice, but always with steadfast love, obeying and suffering with faith and perseverance in and deeply committed to completing the redemption mandate. We teach Jesus in terms of his whole life, in terms of his values, and in terms of his character. Finally, lift it, lift it out. Teaching has to go beyond just simply the classroom instruction. It, is, it has to move from textbook to experience in order for teaching to be effective. Why? One of the millennials that I study about the faith journey told me this, I quote, my generation prefers experience than textbook. So experiential learning must be the way to shape our life as disciples. We have to live it to learn it, and we have to show it by living it. By living it. Let me repeat one more time. We have to live it to learn it, and we have to show it by living it. For us to disciple others is hard and difficult precisely because of this reason. Because we have not modeled the way personally. But if we do that, I can guarantee you the end result is very rewarding. Almost to a person, in all the research that I have come across, discipling is more about mentoring than anything else. The practice is what I call alongside-ship. You know, we have fellowship the practice of alongsideship, the practice of walking alongside those who you intend to mentor. It's about experiencing life together. And the best mentor, discipler of all, or the mentor-discipler 
par excellence is none other than Jesus himself. For me, there cannot be more of a clear illustration of this practice than in the episode of Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. You recall after Jesus appointed the twelve there, he did not immediately teach them about you know, the skills to, teach, to, to, to preach uh, or the authority to cast out demons and send them out to the world. Or did, nor did he say, hey, now, now you have the title of the twelve. Big deal, right? Big deal. So, so you know, you're part of the inner circle. Why don't you just, you know, take advantage of the privilege? No. He first asked them to be with him. He asked them to spend time with him. I mean, you, you heard about the term Emmanuel. In Christmas time, we talk about Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us. But this time, Jesus turned it around. He said, you are now with me. Why does Jesus want them to be with, with, with him? Because he wants them to model after him. He wants to form them, shape them, so that their lives can be forged after Jesus' own lifestyle, Jesus' own values, Jesus' own mandate, his own conviction, his own humility, his obedience. In other words, Jesus showed it by living it, and so must we. So there you have it, PTL, preach it, teach it, and live it. There can be no more excuse of, I don't know it, I misknow it, I know it, but I don't care, I know it, but it's not important for me to follow. But discipling is a tall order. There is perhaps one more concern or attitude I want to address here, and that is, can we do it? Many may say too, I know it, I want to do it, but I can do it. But let me cycle back to last week's sermon. You see, I did, I did take note. Last week's sermon. Towards the very end of it, Pastor Andrew pulled out one point and he said, the power we need to do this. Where is the power for us to follow through with our commitment to the Great Commission? You see, when it comes to obeying the Great Commission to disciple, nowhere is more clear about the presence of power in the appearance of the resurrected Jesus. If you read the Bible, you truly understand that the last thing that Jesus said wasn't really in Matthew chapter 28. It's actually in Acts 1.8. It's Acts 1.8. And in between, the, the Great Commission is given to the follower in a fashion that looked like a pair of bookends. Right, you may recall at that time, before Jesus gave his quick commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 17 said that when the, when the 11 saw him, they worshipped him, but there are still people who doubt. So Jesus began his quick commission by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And then in Acts 1.8, or the, the A18 movement now these days, 
Jesus further said before he ascended into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, authority and power in between is the Great Commission. Tightly bracket the Great Commission. You know, I don't believe this is a coincidence. Or in the world of Leroy Jeffro Gibbs, I don't know whether you watch NCIS on the Tuesday night. Nothing is coincidence. Nothing is coincidence. Jesus truly understands our weakness. He truly anticipates that we may say, I know what I need to do, but I don't have the capability. Or I know what I need to do, but I'm scared. Jesus is saying to us, Fear not, my child. I, the one who has the authority and can grant you the power, empower you now to disciple, to fulfill the Great Commission. With that, we have no more excuses but to follow. We have no more excuses but to obey. In closing, let me cycle back to one of the points I made earlier, that the Great Commission is not simply about evangelism, but it forms the core purposes of the church's existence. So a church that does not put discipling at the core loses not only its purposes, but it loses its identity. So discipling is not only a good thing to do, it is the right thing to do. But most importantly, it is the must thing to do. With this, let's receive the benediction. As we ascend to the world to fulfill Jesus' great commission, first to be disciple ourselves, then to disciple others, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit strengthen and empower us to be obedient followers. Peace. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.